So, uh, just reading through the passage, we're going to go through Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, on into chapter 4. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservant justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. All right. So here we're coming to the end of uh, Colossians chapter 3, which has this big arc of beginning with the gospel and then moving into how we relate together and then practical application in certain relationships. And we've been through uh, husbands and wives and parents and children, and now we have masters and servants. And uh, the, um, the, the application here is going to be in terms of how we relate to those in authority over us. And how many of you enjoy... Uh, working on projects, right? There, there is a certain satisfaction of, of getting something done. You know, we were doing some painting over here in the building, and I got to paint some trim, and that's really satisfying because you paint the trim, and it's like, now it looks really nice, and it took just that much, right? I did this, and, and now uh, all is right in the world, at least within those two feet, right, that uh, the trim has been painted uh, and we find fulfillment in a job well done, don't we? Uh, even as we create things or even as we just do work, like mowing the lawn, there's certain satisfaction in that work. And uh, this is innate to who we are because we were created in God's image. And our God is a creator God. And so the first things we read about God from the Bible, he created the heavens and the earth. He's a creator of good things. And one aspect of bearing his image in the world is for us to be creative and to do good work. And then we come into Genesis chapter 2, verse 6. We read, and there was no man to work the ground. Right? That was a problem. There was no man to work the ground. And so God created man. And then in, in Genesis 2.15, we read, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Notice this is before the fall. We're placed in the garden to work the land and to keep it. That's to take care of it. Right? There, there's a, an element of uh, how we are stewards of what we've been provided. We are to work the land in such a way as not just to take from it, but also to guard it, to protect it. And so, see how all this is bound up in the image of, of who we are in Christ, or in God, the Father. And so, um, this took place before the fall, in the place where God walked with man in the garden, and they had fellowship with one another, and God created man to tend the garden. And to do good work. And so being made in God's image means that our work has some value. And we want to make beautiful things. And yet, um, 
there's also this, this image of, or this issue of sin in our lives. Right? So we are to keep, to take care of, to have stewardship. And does that describe you? Does your work image our creator? Do you seek to make good things and find joy and satisfaction in the work that you are doing? And some of you may say yes, and yet at the same time, I think most of you would probably say work is work. There's a reason why we call it work. There's toil involved in our work, right? So we haven't gotten to Genesis 3 yet. I'll try, I'll try to get to Colossians here soon, but we're, we're, we're laying the table, right? So by the time we, 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 we see that sin has impacted the world, Genesis 3 reads, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. That's an impact of the fall. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground and out of it you were taken for your dust and to dust you shall return. So there is part of the curse. We live under the curse yet we are created in God's image. And these two things both impact our experience of the world now. The result of the curse is toil and labor and pain in the midst of our work. Thorns and thistles infest the ground and work becomes hard. And our sin causes us to sometimes avoid work Right? We seek idols above imaging our creator well. And that's to our own destruction that we seek out those idols. And then good work falls to the side and the image of God is tarnished. And yet we see this promise in Revelation 21 when we will see fruitfulness and joy. God says, I'm making all things new. Right? That's what we look forward to. Like, how long, O Lord, before you will make all things right? And so we wait. We live in this time between, right, this, this time affected by the curse, between the garden and the new creation. And we ask, how long will we live with this curse? And people look at their world and they see pain. They see the effects of our pursuit of idols, where our created energy, creative energy is twisted into destructive pursuits. How then should we see Paul's admonitions to servants and to masters from Colossians 3? Christians live in a world impacted by sin, yet we are citizens of a new kingdom in the midst of that world. And we're to live in light of the new citizenship that we have, even as we live within that world. And then how do we actually live this out? How do we apply that in the situations that we find ourselves in. I think that's what Colossians 3 is, is trying to do for us in these relationships that we've been looking at. So first, let's see that we're serving Christ and not men. Okay? Let's go back to Colossians 3, the beginning, 1 through 17. I'm not going to read it all for you, but if you, if you look that over, you'll see that it gives a summary of what new life in Christ looks like. It's based in finding our identity in Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
Right? This is who you are now in Christ. You have put off the old self. You've put on the new self. And that changes everything. In light of that, the peace of Christ should rule our hearts. The word of Christ should dwell richly in that, that in us. That affects our relationships with one another as a church. And that affects specific relationships. So husbands and wives, parents and children, and here masters and servants. So our purpose as individual Christians in the midst of the family of Christ is to image God well. To display the gospel before the world. And the idea is that the Christian home puts this new community on display before the world. And I say home here because these relationships are all relationships in the Roman world that would have been in the context of the home. Very large homes. And so just want to make note of that. Our, our present society is structured a little differently. And you, you may ask, well, what, what about bond servants in the Roman era? Uh, you know, we're going to go through Philemon after Colossians, so, so hopefully we'll, we'll address that more. But for now, what I just want to, to point out is that there, there is a different social context for the Roman era, but I think there's application here for us that's really in, in the context of our work. We, we all serve someone. We all work and live under somebody's authority. And so the original situation of the text in our present reality is going to, we're going to find the application in our work and who we serve. Okay. So first thing we should see is that we're transferred to a new kingdom. Right? Paul lays that foundation in Colossians chapter 1 when he says... Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so it's an important background for us to see our life in light of our citizenship in Christ's kingdom. If indeed you are in Christ, then citizenship in that kingdom should impact everything. Okay? And that's where we are now in Colossians 3. So the joy of service towards others brings aspects of Christ's kingdom into our present experience. And there are aspects of the future kingdom that are here and now, but are on display among God's people. Right? So there's, there's that tension there. The, the kingdom has come, and yet we wait for the time when the kingdom will be brought to fulfillment Ben has been speaking about this present reality of the kingdom from Matthew, from the Sermon on the Mount. Brett is beginning Revelation, and he's going to be speaking about that kingdom that will come as we go through Revelation. So living as citizens of the kingdom is not some ethereal concept that's foreign to our personal experience of Christ. It's a primary aspect of who we are called to be. As Christians, and it puts on display before the world as we live our life together, right? We're, we're transferred into a new kingdom, and there are real implications for our lives as we are part of that new kingdom. Right? So we serve a new king. In the midst of our present, present individual situations, we now serve the true king. Colossians 1, verse 9. 
And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So one thing we can take away from this passage is that our vertical relationship with God sets the tone for our horizontal relationships. Paul points the reader to understand that our work is serving the Lord first as we get to this week's passage. And you'll see someone who is wrecking their personal relationships. You meet people, right, that this is happening in their lives and start looking for their idols, Right? Their, their vertical relationship with God is awry. Right? There's some idol that's come into their life, and it is wrecking their personal relationships. And so, what God do we serve? Our service for others is set in the context of our service to the Lord. And just as our horizontal relationships are tied to our vertical relationship to God... We image God in faithful service to others. And Paul is making that point. So, we live in light of who we serve. First Peter chapter 2 a, says, Be subject to, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, And to praise those who do good, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So Peter shows us that we should know that who we are serving We live as servants of God, and in doing so, we subject ourselves to every human institution, to emperors and to governors. What does that show when we're willing to submit to imperfect authorities in this world? What does that tell the world about us? It should tell the world that our kingdom is not of this world. Christ's kingdom is different than they expect. And so earthly authorities will praise those who do good, and we should live as the kind of people who seek to do good and not using our service to the Lord as an excuse for laziness and gluttony and shoddy work. But we are to give honorable service because that service honors the Lord. And we're called to be the first fruits of this new creation where our work images the God whom we serve. Right, so when the passage, let me just reread the the passage for us. Slaves or bond servants, obey in everything those who are earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance of your reward. For you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. Right. 
as eye service, as people pleasers, right? What would cause someone to serve only by way of eye service or just to please others? Right? It's to give this appearance of reliability and concern, but it's just an appearance. It's a, it's a shadow without a substance behind it. Right? It's a lie. Don't just serve someone because somebody is watching you. Right? You're called to be a different kind of person in light of who you are in Christ. And that's the whole point of Colossians 3, isn't it? Right? We put off the old self and put on the new self. We put off our idols. We put on Christ. We turn away from selfishness and we serve the Lord. And so substance is more important than appearances. And serving God in truth is more important than the appearance of pleasing people. And so we work heartily as for the Lord. And we're transformed to serve Christ and not men. And that's part of what Jesus is getting at in the Sermon on the Mount, isn't it? He's saying that we're laying out what a new kingdom people look like in the world. Paul's doing the same thing in Colossians 3 in a different way. He's laying out what a new kingdom people look like in the world. And so let's look in more detail at the commands that Paul gives to servants and masters, starting with servants. Just read that passage for you. The, The commands to servants appear in the last, in the list of relationships there in that section. But it's also the most detailed. There's more information given to servants than to wives and children. And being a servant does imply a certain denial of oneself, doesn't it? Right? In that sense, the servant has an advocate in Paul, somebody who certainly denied himself. He himself was a servant of Christ, and what authority or position he might have had, he laid down in order to serve Christ in his kingdom. And similarly, Paul says to servants here that their service is given to Christ. And that means that serving earthly masters is just a temporary reality. Right? It's part of what has not yet come to pass in the establishment of Christ's kingdom. And yet, so we live in this world in between. Right? We live in this imperfect world that does not fully reflect the fullness of God's plan. Masters do wrong. Authorities do wrong. And we still live under the curse. And in light of that, Paul addresses servants with dignity. And he appeals to them in a respectful way that honors who they are in Christ. As Christ followers and Being those who belong to Christ, they're to honor Christ in their hearts and actions. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. So what does a heart that's been changed in Christ look like? In the midst of difficult circumstances, can you see your own inheritance in the Lord? There's this theme of pointing back to the inheritance that God will give to those who serve him. Right? And when you serve others, is it with the knowledge that your service is to Christ? Can you rest knowing that your labor is in service to his kingdom and that God will judge those who do wrong? Now, it says obey in everything. Right? This means all sorts of things. Uh, I don't think it means to, uh, to deny God. Right? They're, 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 just as we were talking about with wives, 
uh, th there is a an understanding here that uh, I think throughout Scripture, right, we, we serve God first, right? So obedience and everything may be more uh, rendered as all sorts of things, um, but all sorts of things does not mean just some things, <laughs> okay? Uh, the, the passage in Colossians here is focused on how Christ-centered relationships work out in practice, so that's what Paul is trying to help us see. How do you work out this relationship where you are under somebody else's authority? And so in the context, it means to have an inclination towards obedience towards those in authority over us. And that that represents Christ well. At the same time, you have to reconcile this with other passages that deal with situations where unrighteous leaders ask people to disobey God. First Peter 2, dealing with this situation, indicates that we should honor those in authority even if they are unrighteous. And that does not mean that we're forced to sin, though. We should honor God ultimately, but we should also honor earthly authorities. And if you practice some sort of civil disobedience, then let, let's make sure that it's, it's for Christ. Okay? That you're, if you're, uh, and if leaders are focusing on Christ, then we should have an inclination of obedience to those leaders. Okay? Now it says earthly masters, according to the flesh. Okay, so here there's this contrast. You have a master in heaven and you have earthly masters. So this is pointing out that these masters are masters in this present world. Ultimately, we belong to Christ and we serve him, but for the time right now, we serve earthly masters. And our service to Christ drives us to serve our earthly masters well here and now. So, given that we belong to Christ's kingdom, how do we relate to earthly kingdoms? I think First Peter addresses that. Um, Colossians 3.22 this week, you know, addresses that with serving your earthly masters. But we live under this current world even as we look forward to Christ's kingdom. And so the tension is that we are to live now, today, as part of Christ's kingdom, even as we live under other authorities. And Paul's audience here, you know, they're, they're part of the already serving Christ and yet they live in this world where they await the fullness of Christ's kingdom coming. And even in that context, they're to obey in everything. So here's, uh, here's a quote from Chrysostom in speaking on this passage. Here is one who has become the brother of servants, living himself the servant life as they live. He is their brother, facing the same limitations Contributing to the same body. His servanthood is understood in relation to the Son of God. He is not his own master. He has entered into the life of the serving Son. Out of this assumption, he calls them to be obedient to earthly masters with fear and trembling. Why? He's in effect saying, How much more powerful is the ministry to those who are already servants? more than those who are free men. How much more easier do they learn the life of obedience in their reverence for God? They are not entering into a lower status, but into the highest status when they learn how to yield to their neighbor, how to become meek, and how to be humble. So, brothers and sisters, we live in a proud nation. 
Right? We live in a proud state. Texas is big, right? We're proud of that. And here we see a voice from church history that's calling us to be countercultural in light of this passage. Right? To live in humility even as the world around us is saturated in pride. And so having a sincere heart, serving the Lord, it's, it's the Lord whom we serve. And we don't serve under some sort of forced compulsion. Right? Instead, we serve joyfully because that service is for the Lord. Even as we work for others now, our work is a part of Christ's kingdom. It's, a, it's also that we receive an inheritance. Right? Being in Christ means that our inheritance is now found in Christ and his kingdom. So our reward is not found in what we can scrabble together here and now for ourselves. That's, that's really how a, a lot of folks operate, isn't it? You know, what, what can I piece together so that I can amass something for myself in this life. Instead, what we have is a stewardship. Just as in the garden, we were created to tend the garden, and that's a stewardship. What we have under Christ is a stewardship. Our inheritance is not found in how we expect earthly power brokers to reward us. Instead, we serve faithfully, joyfully, with substance, And our service points to the fact that we belong to Christ and his kingdom. Now, it also says that the wrongdoer will be paid back. Right? Do right in the eyes of the Lord. Don't work against Christ's kingdom by justifying your wrongdoing. Right? And know that there are consequences when we do wrong. Okay. Let's briefly look at these two parallel passages from 1 Peter and Ephesians 6. And 1 Peter 2.18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin, you're beaten for it, and you endure but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is gracious in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That first Peter passage is written in the context of suffering under an unjust master. And first Peter 2 adds in the admonition to follow Christ's example of suffering even as we suffer unjustly. Now, Ephesians 6, starting in verse 5. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Render service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. 
Right? The Ephesians, the, okay, so this uh, Ephesians 6 passage uh, is very similar to the Colossians passage. It's laying out how we should relate as believers. Right? So 1 Peter 2 is uh, relating to somebody who's expressly not a believer. Ephesians and Colossians is laying out a plan for what believing folks, should, how they should interact with one another as believers. And all three passages, Colossians 3, 1 Peter 2, Ephesians 6, they tie into the same ideas. Right? We serve God even as we go about our work. Therefore, we should serve well knowing that we are servants of Christ. And we look forward to an inheritance or reward from the Lord. Okay. So we should not see ourselves and our work simply in the small context of who we interact with daily. Right? But in the larger context of Christ and his kingdom. And we belong to him and our work is for him and our reward is from him. So, do you put forth your best effort in serving your employer? Right? We should work hard and honor the Lord as we go about our work. Do you maintain ethical conduct? Right? We image Christ before the fallen world. So what image do you display through your character and actions? What can the authorities over you genuinely say about Christians based on your conduct? Do you seek to be industrious, creative, and energetic? Do you fix things rather than tearing them down? Do you create rather than removing what others have built? Is your productivity aimed at being fruitful? Do you fulfill your call to image your creator well before the world? And ultimately that means are you a good steward? All right, so let's look at commands to masters now. In each of these relationships, Paul addresses both sides. Husbands, wives, parents, children, and now masters and servants. And Paul is setting out for us a distinctively Christian relationship for each side. And this is how masters should relate to those who are under their authority. It says, masters treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Be just and fair. The scripture says that there is no partiality with God. The servants of the Lord must be just. We must do what is right. And again, the messaging from our culture is full of half-truths and twisting of other people's words. And we would rather pwn the noobs than do what is right, than speak truth. Right? And I've seen people willing to skirt the truth just so their side can win. And this can go another way. We can distrust or ignore criticism from others in order to defend your ideals or defend your side. And if the church is going to advance in the world, then we need to be people of truth. We image our Father before the world when we are a people of truth. And so our society today does not expect truth. Trust in authority is at an all-time low. Trust in institutions has eroded. All sides leverage outrage as though it were an argument. 
Brothers and sisters, be just and fair. This is an opportunity for the church to be countercultural in this world. And when you deal with those under your authority, be just and fair. When you deal with your children, be just and fair. Right? Do what's right. Don't act out of partiality. So how do we do that? Um, I, th- I think the scripture speaks to that in places. James is, is good for this. Right? Listen before speaking. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So notice how James connects submitting to God's word in our lives and being doers of the word. Right? And the specific application is in relation to being quick to hear, right? slow to speak, slow to anger. So be people who speak truth and who seek truth. Right? People caught in mistruths are often seeking to win at all cost. They want to win regardless of the truth. And if we are people who are under God's authority, then we should seek truth. Be able to state the other side's position fairly. I think that corollary that goes along with that, with hearing. If you can't do this, then you're not speaking truth. You know, uh, in, in Ephesians 6, the parallel passage is, masters do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, uh, that there is no partiality with him. So it, it adds this phrase, don't threaten. <laughs> So again, we we see some thoughts from Ephesians that we found earlier in Colossians. Across all these relationships, um, for the one in authority, it basically says don't be harsh, don't provoke, do not threaten. Notice the theme here. Authority under Christ is carried in humility and in submission to Christ. So aim to treat workers and servants as brothers in Christ. Even in relationships that involve some difference in level of authority, we treat people with respect. How much more should you honor your brothers and sisters in Christ? And Christ himself said that the first would be last. There's an ethic of humility and service taught in the Gospels that speaks to how we should treat others and especially those who have less than us. And James speaks to that as well. James 2, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in this good place, while to the poor man you say, stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Right? The same themes and thoughts that we've been talking about, heirs of the kingdom here. Right? Which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. You uh, are not the rich, the ones who oppress you, and the ones who drag you into court. Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? God has chosen the poor 
to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. And we should act accordingly. Right. So also know that you too have a master. Right. Those in authority must also live knowing that they too have a master. Right. Masters treat your bondservants justly and fairly knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Right. It sounds similar uh, to the Saturian from Matthew and Luke, doesn't it? Right. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, he says. So those who fear God understand that we all live under authority and the ultimate authority over us is the Lord. So some seeking justice emphasize uh, a, a different sort of theme that's external, right? They, they see the effects of the curse, the oppression that one person brings upon another, and that it's unjust. And then they define the problem externally, right? There's suffering, toil, a lack of care and concern for others in the world. But the, the common root with the biblical worldview there, the diagnosis of the biblical worldview is different. Right, the problem is internal. One side says that we can apply a fix to problems externally. Right? The other side says that you need to change people. Right? That, that's the whole point. Christ came in the world. Right? Behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Christ came to create a new people. Right? The kingdom goes forth in order to, to bring restoration to the world and ultimately to bring that at the end of time when Christ returns. And so real change will never come apart from the work of God's spirit in your life and in the lives of individuals. Right? A new kingdom corporately, Christ's kingdom comes in God's plan through changed individual lives. Right? But it, it comes as God works through people. That's what new life in Christ is about. Right? Put off the old self, put on the new. And the restoration of individuals by the work of the Holy Spirit brings about God's new community. And so it comes from changed hearts who live under the authority of a new master. And the question then is, does this describe you? Right? We serve Christ and that makes all the difference. Right, the impact always ties into our corporate witness together. But the change is brought through the work of the Spirit in people's lives. And so have you trusted in Christ? Have you been changed by the work of God in your own life? And the new relationships that we see at the end of Colossians 3, they don't make any sense apart from lives hidden with Christ in God at the beginning of Colossians 3. So you have to start at the beginning and read through the end of the chapter. Right? As lives are changed, this is what happens. The gospel impacts life. It impacts people. Right? So do you live as somebody who is your own master? Do you live as though you are the king? Really, that's one way to describe sin, isn't it? You make yourself out to be the king. You want to unseat the true king. And you're not willing to submit to him. And we want to live as though no one has any authority over us. We want to be like God, but in our sin, we don't rule very well. If we're going to be good stewards, we have to live in submission to the true king. 
that's even the way things were in the garden when all things were right. But what do we do? We treat others harshly. We speak falsehoods to gain advantage. We would rather win than do what is right. We act as though we're not under God's authority. Beloved, live as people who are under God's authority. Submit your life to him and to his word. And remember that we submit to the authority of God's word. Uh, Don't just say that you believe in the authority of scripture and then not be willing to live in light of that. Right? We can present something as an axiom and then not be willing to let that impact our lives. But it shouldn't be that way. Right? How inconsistent is that? Do, do we believe in the infallibility of God's word and then functionally do not live in accordance with God's word? Right? So I would urge you to submit your own lives under the authority of God's word. But here at Redeemer, we think carefully about how we even structure our worship service and um, how that might be submitted to God's word. The songs and the teaching are intended to help us submit to God's word. Expositional preaching is valued as a way to help us submit to, to God and his word. The authority from the pulpit does not come from the authority of the individual. It comes from God's word itself. And it's only authoritative in as much as it, it exposits God's word for us. And so any authority we have is submitted to Christ. As a church, Christ is the head of our church. And so when we say Christ is the head of the church, we mean it. It should should have a functional impact on the way we do things together. So do you seek to be fair and just? Do you live as a person who seeks to treat others fairly and do the right thing? Do you see others as made in the image of God? Do you see those who serve you as created in his image and treat them with respect as a part of God's creation? Do you live as one who is under your own master instead of under Christ? Right? Many see themselves under their own authority. Right? They don't want to live under the authority of someone else. And our culture in particular pushes back against that authority. We want to be in control. Have it your way. It's baked into every message we receive from our culture. But it's not true. We have a master in heaven. Our life is found in him. Our future is found in him. And so we identify with him in his kingdom even through baptism and the Lord's Supper, right? Those elements point to how we live under his kingdom and we submit to his authority in our lives. And this will be impossible for you if you do not know Christ, right? Submitting your life to him is going to be very difficult if you have not turned to Christ for help, right? If you do not know Christ, and the joy of life in Christ, and I challenge you to seek Christ today. Right? He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Right? That's how Colossians opens in the first passages. Right? 
being a part of that kingdom changes everything, including the way we relate to others. And so see your own life in light of that new kingdom. Serve the true king. And then live in light of the one who you serve. Okay. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time and for your word. And Lord, I, I thank you for all of your word that we can look through each passage and see how you have used it to shape your people and to shape your church. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be molded by it, to be willing to receive your word with joy, and to know that you are a good God. You have created us to image you well. So help us to come to you in order to do that. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.